Philippians chapter 1. We're just going to look at a few verses this morning as we begin our study together. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, or bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Even these words of salutation and introduction are God's holy and infallible word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word and that you would use it to change and transform our hearts and lives, not only our lives, but the lives of the lost and dying in this world who need the gospel of grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. Good morning. Nice to meet you. What's up, bro? It's all good. Howdy. Hey, bud. Ni hao, buenos dias, guten tag. Think about all the different ways that we can greet one another. I bet I know how our friends who are Georgia fans greeted one another this week with two simple words, go dogs. You ever seen football players or friends who have this tailor-made greeting for one another, a special handshake, fist bumps that are elaborate and impressive uh, one of my friends, you may know him, this is how he greets me. Bring it in. That's what he's saying. Give me a big hug. And uh, one of my favorite greetings is with, was with my friend Richie Sessions. Uh, when we lived together in Cleveland, Mississippi, a small town. And uh, you would drive by each other multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day. And so... The, the greeting that Richie and I uh, came up with was an anti-greeting. We would just drive past each other and pretend that we didn't see one another. we just, you know, stare straight ahead as we drove. And uh, it was uh, childish and uh, immature and wonderful at the same time. Greetings mean something. Greetings matter. They tell a story of initial introductions or of years of a journey with this person. And as we begin our study of Philippians this morning, we start with a greeting ripe with history, reality, and blessing. And before we walk through those uh, details from this passage, I want to share a little bit about the theme of our series. The theme of our series is joy in the journey. Joy in the journey. In the journey. Only 104 verses in Philippians. You can read it in about 10 minutes, but a couple things stand out. Joy is one of them. The word joy or rejoice appears 16 times in this short, level, uh, this short letter. On average, every 6.5 verses, that's important for us. And as you know, joy is not a concept that's limited to the book of Philippians. It's a biblical concept. Shout for joy all the earth. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Jesus told His disciples, ask that you might receive joy and that your joy may be full. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is an integral part of the Christian life. It's a gift. It's a blessing. 
It's a reality not based on external circumstances. Joy is that sense, that understanding, that mindset that we can have and hold deep within ourselves. But it's also an imperative. It's a command. It's an encouragement. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And nearly every week over the next 12 weeks, we're going to look at some aspect of joy together. But we see joy in the journey. Like the Philippians, like Luke, we are all on a journey. And life has its shares of ups and downs, highs and lows, hilltops and heartbreaks. And some of the nagging questions that we ask ourselves, that we ask each other is, do we have the strength to face the journey? How are we going to make it to the end? Is it possible to go from surviving, from from surviving to thriving, why isn't there more joy in my life? We want, we long, we hope for joy in the journey. And here is the irony. We have unlimited joy through our union and communion with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the power source for our joy in the journey. We desperately need to learn more and more how to lean into to tap into, to live out of the reality that Jesus is our joy and He gives us joy in our lives. His gospel, His grace, His sovereign rule and reign in this world, in our lives, gives us abiding, lasting, triumphant joy no matter the circumstances of our lives. Even in the face of disappointment, even with roadblocks and conflict and sickness, And failure and death, Jesus gives us joy in the journey. And that's our uh, theme that we'll be looking at together throughout the next several weeks. The first thing I want us to see from this passage, though, is this is a greeting with history. Greetings can go back decades. Maybe you've seen people like uh, old teammates or... Uh, sorority sisters or veterans who serve together in war, and they have a, a chant or a greeting that you've never seen before. It's wonderful. And why is that? It's because they have history. Their, their story goes back. And that's what we see with the Philippians and Paul. There is history. This is not a form letter to a random church from an anonymous pastor Paul and the Philippians had a backstory, and and as we begin, I think it's important for us to spend a few moments exploring and helping bring that backstory into view, and it helps bring life to this letter. You remember in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas had uh, wrapped up their Uh, first missionary journey in the Jerusalem Council, and then Paul and Barnabas split ways over whether John Mark would come with them on their next journey. So Paul and Silas head west in Acts chapter 16. They pick up Timothy and Lystra. Luke is with them. And you remember what happened. As they they moved west, they were going to go to Asia Minor, and it says in the Bible in Acts chapter 16 that they were forbidden from speaking the word in Asia. Why? Was there Greek opposition? Were there Jewish challenges? Was there Roman resistance? No, the Bible says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. It actually says it twice. So they probably were at a, 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 
a roadblock and they say, well, God, what now? What next? And that's when in Acts 16 we have this vision Paul receives to come over to Macedonia. After conflict, after closed doors, God is calling them to Macedonia, so they go to a place called Philippi. It's a Roman colony. It's a major city. And now God's going to do, maybe they thought now is God's going to do amazing things. So they make their way to Philippi, Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and others, and they look for the synagogue. Where's the synagogue? That's where we always start. We begin our ministry in the synagogue. All you needed was ten Jewish men to open a synagogue, but there was none. So they went to the river, and they said, maybe we'll find some worshipers there. They met a woman named Lydia. God opened her heart to the gospel. She and her household were baptized. Her home became the hub of ministry in Philippi. But there was some conflict even in conversion and as you remember in Acts chapter 16 there was this demon-possessed woman this demon-possessed girl who would follow the disciples and cause uh, trouble disruption discouraged trying to disrail the apostles message but what happened she was set free by Jesus and instead of her and those around her celebrating her freedom they were outraged because their uh, hope for money was gone. And so these men brought false charges against Paul and Silas. They threw them into prison. And in the middle of what seemed like an absolute disaster, God worked miraculously. And as you remember, there was a, an earthquake at midnight. All the prison doors flew open. The jailer came in. He was ready to take his own life. And Paul and the others said, Don't hurt yourself, we're still here. He ran in and said, what must I do to be saved? And then he brought them to his own home that night. God worked conversion even in the midst of conflict. And then the next day, uh, the leaders found out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They apologized for how they'd been treated and they asked them to leave. You see, They had history together. There was a story behind Paul and the Philippians. And then if you fast forward two and a half or three years in Acts chapter 20, it tells us that Paul came through Macedonia giving much encouragement. Then after three months in Greece, he came back through Philippi. Paul had history with the Philippians. They had history with him, which included conflict and disappointment and imprisonment and conversion and encouragement and growth. They shared their lives with him. They loved each other. They had a special bond. They were knit together by what? They were knit together by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now think about your story. Think about your ups and downs, the highs and lows couple things I want to remind you of. Look back and see how the Lord has been faithful to you. How God has been so good to you. How He's carried you. How He's taken care of you and loved you and walked with you and not given up on you. And in the, in the times when you thought, this is it, it's all over, there is no way forward, there's no way out, there's no future, God has proven Himself faithful once again let that history bring joy in your journey and think about your history 
with others. And the story here, your story here at Palmetto Hills Church, it may be old or new, but think about how God has used people here and other people in your lives to bring you hope, to bring you strength. People who showed up in your lives to encourage, to challenge, to support, to forgive. People who have called you out. People who have loved you. Think about the people that you've wept together and you've laughed together. We greet one another knowing there's history and that history is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the first thing we see here is there is a history. And God has a history with us. The second thing we see from this passage in particular is reality. In Paul's short salutation, his introductory remarks, he makes a few statements. He highlights a few things about himself and about others that help align us, help calibrate our hearts and minds to some important truths. The one, first of all, he refers to himself as a bondservant. Paul and Timothy, servants or bondservants of Jesus Christ. The word here is doulos, servant, slave, bondservant. Why do you think Paul uses this word to describe himself? Only here and in the book of Romans and in the book of Titus does he use this description in the introduction. He often appeals in other books to his apostleship. Why bondservant here? Moises Silva suggests that since one of the themes of this letter is humility, Paul is leading by example. He could have said, I'm an apostle, I was caught up in the third heaven, I brought you the gospel, but he begins by saying, I'm a bondservant. And this matches the message of chapter 3 in Philippians, where he highlights his immaculate, unparalleled spiritual resume and pedigree. And what does he say about it all? He says he considered all of it rubbish, all of it dung, compared to the surpassing greatness and worth of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. What do we know about bondservants? Well, honestly, it's not really a flattering term it's not appealing it's not the tagline that we would use for our marketing campaign bond servant is not the first thing we'd put on our resumes in the first century roman world people could willingly give themselves over to someone else as bond servants sometimes to repay a huge debt and these people were treated as possessions as property for the rest of their lives And so we have this interesting picture. We have full freedom through Jesus Christ and His gospel, and at the same time, we are bondservants of Jesus. You remember the words from Corinthians, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. Paul would say to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when we think about the reality of Paul and Timothy being bondservants, of us being bondservants of God, what does that mean? Well, identity is a huge part of the Christian life. 
And we often focus on these wonderful aspects of our identity that we're forgiven and accepted and redeemed and adopted daughters and sons of the living God, ambassadors, witnesses, disciples. But we also need to remember we never can forget that we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. Second aspect of reality that's highlighted here is also in verse 1. It says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Saints means holy ones, people who are set apart. It's not a designation of an elite group of spiritual giants. No, saints means a normal, regular reality. It's one of the ways that God's people are described in the New Testament. And so Paul refers to believers as saints in the book of Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. It's a reminder that a huge part of our identity is that we are set apart by and for Christ. And one of the things that we need to remember as believers in this world is that that we are simultaneously sinners and saints. It's one of the reasons that we openly confess our sins in corporate worship each week. We are new creatures in Christ, still living in a fallen world, still struggling with sin. And dear ones, sometimes that battle is dark. And there seems to be no hope for change into the future. And that's when we need to lean into the reality, if we're resting and trusting in Jesus, that we have been set apart saints in Him. We're going to go deeper into this in a week or two, but we can, we can take courage and strength from chapter 1, verse 6. I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Part of the reality that Paul highlights for the Philippians and for us is that they that he's that we're bond servants, that they are saints, and he also addresses the servant leaders in the church. The second part of verse 1 says with the overseers and the deacons to the saints at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Paul addresses the congregation in general and then he addresses the church leadership, her servant leaders. And this reminds us of one of the realities reinforced in the New Testament that God leads his church through recognized, set apart, ordained servant leaders. The first word there is overseers, it's episkopos, and it's literally translated overseers. Sometimes it's translated bishop in uh, some translations. Sinclair Ferguson explains that this refers to the same person who is also known as an elder in the New Testament. Those two words are used interchangeably in Acts 20, episkopos and presbyteros. Elder refers to the maturity of the leader bishop or overseer describes the ministry that he fulfills or exercises so to the overseers and the deacons this is a more general term it's the word the root word for service but it indicates here that this is a set apart group of men we believe who are ordained qualified set down the qualifications are set down in first timothy chapter 3 The genesis, the heart of 
of the beginning of the diaconate we see laid out in Acts chapter 6. And so overseers and deacons work to serve the church and the community. Now it's interesting, this is the only letter that Paul wrote where he mentions elders and deacons in the beginning. wonder why. There could be several things. Maybe this is a reminder, a subtle reminder to the congregation Brothers and sisters, you elected, you called, and God called your overseers and deacons. Respect them. Follow their lead. Pray for them. Help them. Shepherding is hard to do. Maybe it's a call out to the elders and deacons of the congregation to step up and stop ignoring the strife and the conflict and the discord in the church. You're called to lead after the pattern of Jesus Christ. So those are some of the realities that we see for joy in the journey that we're bond servants, that we're saints, that God calls servant leaders. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is the idea of blessing. The longer I live as a Christian, the longer I go along in the journey of the Christian life, the idea and magnitude of God's blessing captivates and encourages me more and more. And so my mind is blown as I think about Jesus' baptism and the transfiguration when the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased to think that that blessing from the Father to His precious beloved Son Jesus is a blessing for us, His children, through the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus. That brings me such joy. Remember the end of Luke's Gospel. Right before the ascension, what does he say that Jesus does? He lifted up his hands and he blessed them. I think about Jacob desperately wrestling with God and saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. The smiling countenance, the light, the blessing of God is so deeply powerful and needed in this world and in our lives. It's one of the fundamental realities and building blocks for joy in the journey. And we think of benedictions and we think of blessings at the end of letters, at the end of books. But here's the reality. There are actually plenty at the beginning of books. And I love this. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe a work environment, maybe it's an audition, maybe it's a tryout for a sport, a team, and it's just tense and awkward. And you can tell everybody's struggling. And then one of the leaders, one of the the bosses stands up and they say from the outset, I know everyone's nervous. This is, why we're, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be about. And then it shapes the whole process. It helps make things better. Paul wants to make it clear from the outset what this letter and his ministry and our hope is all about. Make no mistake about it. Everything that follows, the promises, the challenges, the indicatives, the imperatives, our hope for joy in the journey flows out of what verse 2 says, the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are two of the most precious realities and blessings in the Christian life. Grace, 
We've heard this word all the time. We use this word all the time. That means we can take it for granted. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Part of salvation, forgiveness, acceptance with God is based on what Christ has done, not what we have done. Grace is a gift, full and free. Grace to you is a promise. Grace to you is a blessing. Grace to you is a prayer. Paul is essentially saying, may you know and sense and experience and embrace the grace of God in your life in every way. The blessing of grace is a fundamental building block for joy in the journey. And peace. This echoes that Hebrew greeting, shalom, physical and spiritual well-being, wholeness. Think about part of the blessing of the gospel is that we can have peace with God. We who were once far off, alienated, outcasts, are now brought near. Jesus speaks peace into our lives. And Paul's desire is that they and that we would lean into and live out of the wholeness, the fullness of God's rule and reign in this world. Shalom, peace with God and others. This is another blessing that we need for joy in the journey. Think about all the blessings, all the greetings that we have in this world. What is the greeting that your life is sharing, that you share with others? What is the message that you declare above and beyond everything else? Does your life and soul communicate, Jesus Christ is my life? Can you tell of his history in your life where he sought you and saved you and carried you and is changing you into his image is the reality of your life the core reality of your life based on the reality of jesus god becoming man his life his death his resurrection are you his willing bondservant saints of god does your greeting tell the story of blessing grace and peace to us yes us grace and peace also to you through god the father and the lord jesus christ we have been blessed by god why to be a blessing to others may god help us to greet one another to greet others to greet life with joy in the journey let's pray God, we thank you so much for even these few verses that begin this precious letter and remind us of so many powerful truths. Help our lives to tell the story of your grace and help us to have joy in the journey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll respond by singing a new song, a song about being blessed to be a blessing, may the peoples praise you.
called us out of darkest night into your glorious light that we may sing the wonders of risen Christ. May our every breath tell the grace that broke into our strife with boundless love and deepest joy within less life. Peoples praise you, let the nations be glad. Earth is yours and all within, each harvest is your own, and from your hand we give to thee, is a Christ known. May the seeds of mercy grow in us for those who have not heard. May tongues of praise build lives of grace to spread your word. May the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad. All your blessings seem to praise, praise, may praise the name of Jesus. This your praises and your name. To every nation, tribe, and tongue, your church proclaim. May the peoples praise you, and the nations be glad. They praise the name of Jesus. Let the nations be glad. All your blessings come that we may praise. Praise the name of Jesus. Say the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. All your blessings come that we may praise. May praise the name of Jesus. Now receive God's blessing, the benediction that he goes with us wherever we are, wherever we go, God is with us. This comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses.